I want to talk this morning about determination. <clears throat> we all have a certain amount of determination. Back in the, uh, probably in the uh, late 90s, uh, we went back to our children in California. And uh, <clears throat> I was younger then, by the way. I had more strength then, and uh, my oldest son and my youngest son planned to take a hike up to the top of Unicorn Peak in the Yosemite Valley. <clears throat> so we uh, left his home about 2 a.m. and drove up to Twelve Meadows, which is about 8,600 feet. And from there you hike up through Elizabeth Lake to the base of Unicorn Peak, which is 11,144 feet. Now, we are coming from almost sea level, so the breathing is quite different. We brought backpacks with food and extra clothing and <coughs> got to Elizabeth Lake, and it was 28 degrees. Uh, <laughs> Rather a chilly morning, and we started our hike, and as we went, we could tell that the oxygen level was getting less and less, and you have to breathe more deeply uh, so that you get more oxygen to your muscles. Well, uh, after our two boys uh, decided to ski dip in the lake, <laughs> they were out as quick as they got in. <laughs> but at least they said they, could, they did it. Then we started to climb up Unicorn Peak. And <clears throat> there are basically three sides to this mountain. Two sides are a vertical drop, about 2,000 feet. The third side is a very rocky slope of about... Uh, 75 degrees, and uh, we started going up that slope. And I got to about 10,000 feet, and <laughs> I said, I, I don't know if I can go any further. And both boys together said, you're going to finish what you started. <laughs> and so Anthony took my backpack, and, and we kept going. We had determination to push on. There's some critical elements to understand about Easter. If we don't understand the determination that was in the heart of Jesus to do the will of God, we won't understand Easter. So I ask you to turn to Luke Chapter 9, and we're going to investigate the determination that was in the heart of Jesus. Luke 9 and verse 51. <clears throat> And when the days drew near for him to be taken up, he set his face, that is, Jesus 
set his face to go to Jerusalem. And he sent messengers ahead of him who went and entered a village of the Samaritans to make preparations for him. But the people did not receive him because his face was set toward Jerusalem. And one of his disciples, one of his disciples, James and John, saw it. They said, Lord, do you want us to call fire down from heaven and consume them? And he turned and rebuked them. And they went on to another village. As they were going along the road, someone said to him, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said to him, The foxes have holes, and birds of the heaven or the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. To another he said, Follow me. And he said, Lord, let me go and bury my father. And Jesus said to him, leave the dead to bury their own dead. But as for you, go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Yet another said, I will follow you, Lord, but let me first say farewell to those at my house. And Jesus said to him, no, one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. Interesting. Jesus set his face to go to Jerusalem. This was a comment that really upset the Samaritans because Samaritans had nothing to do with the Jews in Jerusalem. They were half Syrian, half Jewish. And because of that, they didn't want Jesus going to a place where they had hatred and animosity toward another people. The Samaritan of their feelings was very clear because they would not let him come into their, their village. But Jesus is not deterred. He's not turned away from the purpose. His determination to go there was fixed. Jesus is emphasizing that there is a no place on earth for him. No place because of the bent of his life. There's no place for him to lay his head. Verse 58. There's a natural instinct in the human being to nest. We have a new baby here. And there's that mother instinct to nest her children around her. Amazing grandma's got Mason right now. (laughs) But that is an instinct in every human being that they want to be 
somewhere where they feel at home. There was nowhere for Jesus. No place that would be safe for the Son of God. He came to redeem a lost human race. And in that path of rejection, there was only one path for those who follow him. And that was to also accept the rejection of the world. We cannot call this place home. We uh, have these little plaques on the wall, home is, but it's not really our home. Jesus, throughout his ministry, asked people to follow him in a place and to a place that was not their home. In verse 59, he says, follow me. But sadly, there are those who have objections to leaving everything. In Luke 5, when he called the disciples, they left their nets and followed him. Does that mean that there was no, no more fishing? No, of course not. But the idea was he was going to be first and foremost in everything. Everything else took second place to following him. So we don't want to misunderstand the words of Jesus here when he says, leave the dead to bury their own dead, or um, no one who has put his hand to the plow and looking back is fit for the kingdom doesn't mean you can't say goodbye to your relatives. It is that he was pointing to the fact that there was a priority of the heart that must be there. It was the highest level of commitment. He was raising the human bar to a divine standard that if we're going to follow him, it means that everything must be second place, subservient to who he is. Have you heard Jesus call your name? Have you heard him say, come, follow me? And what have you done with that? Well, Lord, you know, I've got this hobby. What excuse are you going to raise? You know what? Come on. Let's be honest. We all have excuses. I've got my library. She's got her cooking garden. No, no. I'll leave it all behind. For one person, one person who means everything to me. But the problem is that 
we measure our commitment, we measure our determination by what comes in our path. Jesus was determined to follow the will of God and anyone who follows him must do the same. We live in a world where there are standards that are constantly changing. In fact, they are being lowered. I remember when we were, had our kids in public school and then even in Christian schools, the standard kept being lowered. Now, we weren't perfect parents, just in case you wondered. <laughs> Nor did we have perfect kids, but we saw this decline in education. And so it is with marriages, with morality and integrity, even in the halls of government. Standards are being lowered. And we feel like we have a, a right to change my standard to fit what I want. Jesus faced the same problem. He'd been teaching the disciples day in, day out, I'm going to die. I'm going to be buried, but I'll rise the third day. But they didn't get it. And so in Matthew 16, as just after Jesus had reminded them, Peter had the audacity to say, and take the Lord aside and rebuke him, saying, far be it from you, Lord, this shall not happen to you. Whoa. Peter telling the Lord what he will and will not do. <laughs> have you ever done that? Yes, you have. I have. We have dictated to the Lord of glory what I will and will not do in my life. That is not following him. Jesus has a very interesting reply with stunning words. He says, get behind me, Satan. You are a hindrance to me, for you're not setting your mind on the things of God, but the things of man. Think about that for a moment. Any influence that was going to divert Jesus from doing the will of God was from Satan. Would you say that about influences in your life that would just turn you a little to the left of doing the will of God? Would you identify that as having its origin in Satan? With Jesus, there are no shades of gray. It's either black or white. Total commitment. He returned the rebuke on Peter. But in that rebuke, there's two things I want you to observe. When he said, you, are, you Peter, are a hindrance to me. Have you ever said that to someone? Have you? I don't think very many of us would, would we? To be so 
blunt to say, look, that is hindering me from doing the will of God. What about your co-workers, your neighbors, your relatives? What about the students at school or college? How do you respond to suggestions that they make? Well, come on, we're just going to have a little fun. Really? Is that the will of God? I'm not saying that fun isn't the will of God, but what I am saying is that there are things that our peers will pressure us into to violate the will of God. You're a hindrance to me. Any influence that is not the will of God becomes a hindrance to my commitment to do his will. Any influence that hinders me from doing the will of God will hinder me from following him. The word hindrance is very interesting. It's like a trap. That word means it's like a trap that you set for an animal. And boom, the trap shuts and the animal is caught. That was what Jesus said to Peter, that what he was suggesting would would have entrapped the Lord from doing the will of God. These are serious things. Paul is very clear in 1 Corinthians 8 that we're not to set a stumbling block before my brother. Even in the Christian world, we face very hard issues. And we got to be careful, very careful, that what I do does not become a hindrance to my brother or sister. I know. Taking a stand on values that others don't accept is hard because we become criticized, made fun of, even mocked, and worse. I remember so well You'll have to excuse me for using myself as an illustration again, but I went from private school to public school. Boy, that was fun and games for the other kids. Middle school, oh my. My hands got jammed in the locker and kicked, pushed over in the hall. You know why? Because they heard that I was a Christian. We got to be careful that we don't measure our commitment by what happens to us, but by what Jesus is. He is the measure of my commitment. He is the measure of my determination to honor him, not what others say and do. We're in hard times. 
Following Christ is not easy. We're called to stand firm on biblical convictions, even when others in the professing church say otherwise. That is the hardest when those in the church will dumb down truth to make it easier to follow him. Don't go with them. Be committed to following Christ no matter what the cost. The second point that Jesus makes is that no one who's put his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. See, uh, Jesus is measuring commitment by how close you follow him. (laughs) Uh, We have gone on many hikes in our lives, not just the one I mentioned to begin with. As a family, we would go to Yosemite every year and take this trail, take that trail. We always wanted to take a different trail. And I remember several times, where's mom? They had gone on ahead and they couldn't see her, they couldn't see me. They were concerned about how close we were together. How concerned are you about following Christ? So Jesus says in his second point, for you have not set your mind on the things of God, but the things of man. The word in English, setting your mind, is actually one word in the original language. It means to give serious consideration to something, to ponder, to let one's mind dwell on that thing, to think about, to fix your attention on that one thing. When we follow his instructions, our values change. And not only that, we begin to listen more carefully to what he says and not what other people say. And we're less likely to be influenced by others. When the words of Christ became more important to me, I will listen to him rather than listen to others. Does it mean that I'm going to have a crowd follow me? No. But it does mean that what you do becomes an influence on them. If you follow Christ, you'll see that others want to follow too. So let him Change your values. Fix your attention on the things of God and be less influenced by those outside influences that would take you away from a determination to follow the will of God. Jesus, as he closed his comments, he says, no one looking back. No one. Have you started to follow Christ? 
and then look back? Well, what about, no, no. I gave the um, prayer group this morning a verse from John 21. Peter became very concerned about John. What, what about John? Don't worry about John. You follow me. And that's the word to all of us. Don't worry about others. You follow Christ. That will be the measure of your determination. <laughs> I never forget, believe it or not, I used to drive a tractor. <laughs> and my father, the first uh, time that he had me plow the field, and my father had a farm of a little over 400 acres. And uh, he'd say, you see that fence post up there? Be sure you keep your eye on that fence post. And I was going, and, and so did my plowing. <laughs> it was no longer a straight plow. The same thing happens when you take your eyes off of Christ. Your life becomes a crooked mess. Don't let that happen. I want to take you to one more scripture. Would you turn to Luke 22? Because I have to be able to close here in time that this is a very important one. Luke 22. And verse 39. And he came out and went, as was his custom, to the Mount of Olives, and his disciples followed him. And when, they, and when he came to the place, the garden, he said to them, pray, 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 that you may not enter into temptation. This world is full of temptations. And the only remedy is prayer. Determined prayer. God, I need you right now because I'm being tempted. And he withdrew from them about a stone's throw and knelt down and prayed and saying, Father, if you are willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, no matter what, anything that happens, if it's not your will to remove that cup, not my will, but yours be done. And there <clears throat> appeared to him an angel from heaven, strengthening him, and being in agony, he prayed more earnestly, and his sweat became as great drops of blood falling down to the ground. And when he had rose from prayer, he came to the disciples and said to them, Why are you sleeping? Rise and pray, 
that you may not enter into temptation. Are you sleeping? Jesus knew the measure of temptation that was coming when he would leave. He knows the temptation. He knows how strong your temptation is. And he's saying, pray. Be determined to pray. Wow. We have to realize that we live in a world full of dangers. Some we see coming, some we don't. And we don't realize how real the power of Satan is in the temptation. And the only way of escape is a determination to lean on the power of God in you and me to resist temptation. Christ wants us to be faithful. Jesus needed a place where he could pray because he was facing the greatest temptation of any human being. The temptation was not because he didn't want to do the will of God, but he knew what the cross would be. He knew the suffering before it happened. He knew the wrath of God against every man's sin from beginning to end. He knew it all. And he knew what that cross would be like, which you and I can never, never, never measure. He knew it intimately, fully, and he prayed. And the result of his prayer was that he was strengthened. He went to the cross. He did not bypass it. He did not flinch a moment, but he took the path of suffering that you and I might be faithful, true followers into another world where there is no temptation. Pray. The rigged trial, the mistreatment, the wrath of God never turned him away. He knew it so well that his sweat became drops of blood. The intensity, the absolute agony of heart in Jesus because he knew what he was facing and he knew that he had to face it with God so that you and I can face our temptation. That we can be determined to follow him. For Jesus, there was no question. He had to do the will of God. His determination was, as we would say, a 10. How about yours? How about your determination? How would you measure it? 
what number would you give it? I, I need mine raised. I need mine brought up. How about you? The boys and I were determined to reach the top. And we did. It was an absolute crystal clear day. There was not a cloud in the sky. We could see for at least 100 miles. And we just sat there in awe. Two thousand feet, straight down. It's okay. God was there. Whatever you determine to do for Him, He'll be there. He'll give you views of His glory that you've never had before. He'll inspire you with wonderful thoughts of who he is and what he will do in your life. Young people, you are at a critical age. What is your determination? You in your middle ages, you know, somewhere between 25 and 60, (laughs) what's your determination? Don't waste your life. John Piper has a wonderful book entitled Don't Waste Your Life. Don't waste your life. It's so easy to just lower your commitment, lower your determination, and I can tell you it will create a vacuum and it will suck in everything the world offers. You want to know how we got down from that mountain? There was no helicopter. This is just a side note. It's not even in my notes. (laughs) But we walked along a ridge that was 2,000 foot this way and a slope this way. Just a hair of a trail. And we got down on this ridge to where there had been snow in a valley took off our jackets, sat on our jackets, boom! (laughs) We went down 1,500 feet pretty quick. But you know what? That experience will be ever etched in my mind that my boys said, Dad, we're not coming this far and not reaching the top. I'm saying to you, We have not come this far, and we're not going to reach the top. My determination, and the determination of that man sitting there, is that we reach God's goal for this church. True disciples who love and follow Jesus and him alone. The measure of your determination is so important. As I've said, we live in a culture that is so deviant. Moral standards are dropping every day. 
and you will need for us to work together to keep raising your determination. If you're here and don't know Jesus, you have no idea what I'm talking about. Because your determination is to live your life your way. And I can tell you, the end is destruction. But if you are here today and you're saved by grace, I want to challenge you on a scale of 1 to 10, where is your determination? If it means loss of family, friends, money, possessions, position, status, or the dearest thing to you, would you be determined to follow Christ? I know what I'm talking about because I and my dear wife, together, we made a determination in 1970, September, that we would follow Christ and not our own family. And it meant the death of our family. Is it worth it? Yes. Yes. A thousand times yes. Because the glory that God will give to you in his word and fellowship with him cannot be measured. There's a price to pay to have your determination raised to a new level. And I'm asking this morning that we do that. Joe, would you come up? I know, don't look at your watch. I'll tell you what time it is. It's only 10 after 11. But I'm going to do something that perhaps is a little different. I'm going to ask my brother, Tim, to come and help me down these stairs. And I'm going to ask him to come and stand with me. Are you willing to raise your determination level? Amen. All right. Any of you who are willing to do the same thing, I want you to come here and stand with us that we together might make a commitment that we're going to stand firm on the foundation of Christ and his word because if you don't do it, I can guarantee you things will slide. I want us to come together and ask Tim to pray for us that we might together as a church make a commitment that our determination to follow Christ becomes greater than it was before. I'm not asking for a real number. I'm asking for you to stand with us and following him.
because God is watching the service this morning. And so are the angels. And so are the powers and authorities in the heavenlies. And they're watching what happens here. I think God wants this morning for us together to make a commitment. I am making a fresh commitment that Christ be everything, more than he ever has been before, to follow him and him alone. 